show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to get your cat his own ring light because the zoom filters just aren't cutting it. They aren't. Today we're talking about that headset situation. The what now? You know, the gopher grind. Um, uh, I'm talking about the old TV production assistant post. Got it. Uh, we are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to the writer-creator of the epic podcast-turned-graphic novel, Bubble, which he is now adapting into an animated feature for Sony Animation. As a comedy writer, he is penned for shows on Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, and Disney+. Plus. And as a podcaster, he is the co-host of Jesse Jordan Go on Maximum Fun. But today, we are lucky enough to have him moonlighting in our little corner of the internet, Please welcome to the show, live from Las Vegas, <laughs> the very funny Jordan Morris. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Uh, I have to be done in a couple minutes so I can put on a filthy SpongeBob costume and take pictures with people outside Caesar's Palace. Oh, yes. I'm so glad that finally came through for you. I know you were waiting on that. <laughs> it fi- yeah, it finally happened. I booked it. I uh, I, I got the d- dirty SpongeBob costume, and I can't wait to live the dream as my favorite resident of Bikini Bottom. Right. Let's just be fair. They were just waiting for a costume to be returned that fit Jordan. You know, that's how I find those things. Is usually you're just in the queue until a costume is returned that fits you. It's the old blockbuster model, but it's been updated for yep. street costumes. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, Jordan, before we do anything about side hustling, should I fly to Vegas to have this autographed? This was so good. I like oh, just good. Jamie's holding like, up the very sturdy hardcover. Hardcover. Don't do that. It's a microphone. I know, but I've never felt a hardcover. We are demonstrating how sturdy the hardcover is. I mean, you could... You could get the soft cover, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't slap like that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have slap that like slap. this. Number one. Number two. I just found it so durable because my six-year-old keeps looking at the pictures and he's like, "Read this to me." And I'm like, "One, you know how to read. Two, <laughs> no, um, not yet." Uh, not but not um, I, I wouldn't let anybody bother me. I read this in a morning. This is so oh, good. I'm so glad awesome. you moved on to describing and complimenting the content of the book and not just the durability of the cover. <laughs> yeah, great. thank you. The, the the paper is a great stock. It the is. ink is <laughs> high gloss. The ink <laughs> is vibrant. Is. Just everything I didn't have anything to do with. Uh, <laughs> no, it is. It, it it's it's a very very nice looking book. I I I do I do love how it looks. I think it looks great on a shelf. Uh, yeah, bubble. It's, now Jamie it's a nice is uh, is is an avid reader. So I turned that part of the research over to her. I, on the other hand, am more of a passive person. Mm-hmm. Thought I'm just gonna you know check out the podcast, listen to a couple of episodes and i burned through the whole goddamn show it is great oh nice i'm glad to hear that yeah yeah bubble it uh, it was a scripted podcast it is now a graphic novel in stores everywhere um yeah it's the uh it's a sci-fi comedy it's the story of a near future where people all live in dome cities and uh there's aliens on the outside and everybody participates in this kind of life and death hunger games gig economy to survive and uh yeah the it's the story of these kind of 
aimless friends who live in the hipster bubble, which is kind of a little like Portland or Silver Lake. And uh, yeah, through they start, you know, they get kind of thrust into this gig economy. They have to battle monsters and then they get caught up in a big uh, kind of corporate espionage plot. It's uh, yes, it's 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 a blast. I co-wrote it with uh, the great Sarah Morgan and. Uh, the art is by Tony Cliff, who does the Delilah Dirk series. So, uh, uh, hence, hence it just looking so gosh darn nice. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's bubble. It exists. It well, does. I want to go back to something he said about the book because we live in the gig economy in Los Angeles, so right. it's not so far off from what we talk about on this show or the real life of creatives in not just LA, but we, we you know we talk to a lot of LAers. Yeah, that that save the, save the infiltration and eventual slaughter of the aliens. Yes, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> well, as you what don't we're think we slaughter today. aliens here? It's a cutthroat world. Okay, yeah, I, I understand that you go to some weird auditions, but <laughs> aside from that unique experience, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just found it so so funny that like you you know you you wrote this amazing funny podcast that is you're you're so tuned in to the gig economy and yet when we asked you well what have your side hustles been you're like I don't know just I just did this one thing I just I was a PA on, on, <laughs> on TV shows so well, let's talk about being a PA on TV shows um, for a lot of our listeners they're not in the business. Um, what is a PA, production assistant? What did yes. you do? So, so PA is kind of the the entry level showbiz job. I think I moved to LA, you know, with uh, with 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 dreams of writing for the for the screens, both small and large. Um, so yeah, so the kind of the advice that I got from you know every advice source was like a good way to meet people and a good way to learn about the industry is to become a PA, a production assistant, and that's you know you don't. You don't need any kind of specialized experience to get that job. You kind of just need like thick skin, a thick skin. Yeah. You need a, a, a car and um, a good alarm clock and a good alarm clock. Some yeah. people skills. You do all of these things. So, yeah, but but you don't you know, but it's a it's a thing you can get with, a you know, a pretty blank just out of college resume. Yeah. It's um, the Hollywood version of working at McDonald's. It's the actor version of being a background actor. No, yeah, I'm yeah, but sort of. all all very good analogies. Um, so yeah, PA is it's a it's a very catch-all term. It's not like unionized at all, so they can just make you do whatever, um, whenever, whatever, whenever. Basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's it, so when I started was kind of just before smartphones uh, became something everybody had. So there was a lot of copying and driving scripts around. There was a lot wow. of like photocopying hard copy scripts and driving them to everybody's houses who needed them. Jordan um, looks 22 and he's talking about like pre-cell phones. Pre <laughs> I'm looking at like, oh, so you were like 12? Yeah. And An you were ancient PA? time, yeah. <laughs> Before smartphone, I mean, you're talking about like pre-email, pre-fax, you're driving scripts around. That's, uh, yeah. That's so email. Everybody ha had email, but I think the like, you know the the practice of just like opening a pdf to read something was not universal i think there's mm -hmm. there was still yeah. a lot of like older school people who just needed a hard copy script because that's still, how they did things the ipad was strictly day. for angry birds exactly yeah exactly yeah. It, was, it was the yeah it was the first app angry birds <laughs> came along uh and yeah and now i i, I wonder if the modern pa has to do that i bet they do not 
but um no i bet agents have to do that if they have like an old time you know a or b list yeah. actor on their roster they're gonna get mm-hmm. you know an intern in the office to send over a hard cop right Alice, yeah. give me jack klugman on the rotary <laughs> <laughs> but also there's you know it's making coffee it's you know kind of personal errands for people i took a lot of people's like beamers to get washed um you know kind of food pickup lunch pickup that sort of thing you're kind of just there to be support and yeah and, and i think a good a good one of those jobs you'll get to like you know i had one where i got to sit in a writer's room for a little bit and kind of just like watch them work and i kind of got to know the like logistics of that and uh yeah so so it's uh it, it's neat it's it, it's a tough job it's a thankless job no not a thankless job but some people are depending on the boss depending on the boss and the work environment it can be a cool fun gig but it can also be uh shitty and it's all about kind of your boss and the office and the office yeah. culture and um and all that stuff how did you get your first pa gig were you on a film set were you on tv what were you so my first pa gig was on a sitcom called living with fran this is uh, oh i know living with fran living with fran this is fran drescher's post nanny comeback sitcom but that uh, was like not that long ago was it Let's see. That was probably in two thousand and five, two thousand and four yeah. or five. Yeah. Time is just irrelevant to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this was on the C- maybe the CW was still called the WB. So this was on the WB um, before it merged with UPN. Um, before they killed the dancing frog yes before michigan j frog was (laughs) taken out and shot in the field um (laughs) r.i.p but then you know as soon as people turned around he got up and started singing and dancing again (laughs) my baby so long my honey yeah so uh so living with fran i think it lasted two seasons and i got the gig because in college i had an internship in the Fox Development Office, and an old contact I had from that internship passed along my resume. So nice. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was my first PA gig, and uh, I was driving around in a Toyota Corolla, taking scripts to Fran, and um, uh, all the all the various guest stars from the show. The uh, one of the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jamie Kennedy was weirdly a producer on that show. If if that if you need something else to date it, um, that's sure. crazy. Yeah, he was um, a producer on the show. He was a producer. Yeah, um, I think maybe there was a world where he was originally going to be in it, but then got it. Uh, had other other things to do. He had this experiment going on. He had an experiment that needed tending to <laughs> the mm-hmm. Jamie Kennedy experiment. That's so uh, that was his prank show, I believe. Uh, yep. So yeah, so that was that was that was it. And so, um, but yeah, it was great. It was it was a great way to kind of like learn about the biz. It was like not. It, it seemed like a pretty nice, happy work environment. Um, Seems you know, I don't, like, or I think so. Looking back, <laughs> I because I, I was in some some bad <laughs> offices after that where oh, things were pretty like tense and toxic and you can kind of feel people sniping at each other and that definitely makes its way down to the PAs definitely like when an office culture is kind of rotten you definitely feel it as a PA but no I think that was a pretty nice work environment and uh, and you were there for the full two seasons for two years I was just there for one season 
Um, I forget why I didn't come back for the other one, but um, uh, yeah. Found a really nice toxic environment to move into. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I found something uh, a little more stressful that's yeah. uh, keeping me up at night. And I'll say that Fran was great. Fran oh, I'm was so great. Glad to hear that. She's uh, the new SAG president, so it's so nice to hear. Oh, that. is she good for her? I'm exactly. glad she. Uh, I'm glad she took that. Yeah, she was always really nice. Um, uh, whenever I would drive her out of script to her beautiful home in Malibu, she would always give me a little bottle of water, um, nice. which was great. I bought clothes for her dog once. I had to go pick up clothes for her little Pomeranian, and that is definitely a moment where you feel like, oh. In in this job, you are you are subservient to some dogs. There are some <laughs> dogs who outrank you, and you have to pick up their clothes for them. It's so strange to me because um, I was never I was a PA in the news, but I was never a PA okay, here, yeah. and um, which is a totally different vibe. You know, like you mm -hmm. are not running errands for people unless it's crucial to you know the live show going live at the right time. Right. Um, you're just working your ass off all the time, but um, you're not subservient to a dog usually, which is good, just subservient to anchors. But, you know, um, the interesting thing is the PAs that I know out here are usually yelling at people walking around their own town to get groceries. <laughs> like, we're shooting! Don't right. walk on our <laughs> sidewalk! Because um, it gets annoying. And, and yeah, that's the th kind of the thing about PA is that depending on the gig, it can entail so many different things. Like, there's set PAs and there's office PAs. And yeah, right. and, 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 and... So you're were just... you an office PA with that... Uh, I was, but I also did a little bit of, so it was a, that particular show was a, you know, four camera sitcom, uh, the likes of which they don't make too much of these days. Um, so yeah, but I got to kind of be there while they were shooting it on the big stage in front of the audience and, and do so some fun. of that too. So, so you mentioned, and I sort of want to talk about that because I feel like there might be some stories there, mm -hmm. uh, about the toxic jobs but right. i also just want to ask you and you don't have shock about these jobs if you don't want to but in between gigs as a pa we want you to name names no in between <laughs> but i'm so happy to hear it because i loved the nanny and i loved fran drescher and i always you know you know it's funny people who make animation always stop and they're like oh you have such an interesting voice and i'm like shut up i'm not a cartoon character um but hmm. fran drescher was to me and i loved her dearly yeah she, she's awesome and definitely like a sitcom pro she like nails nails the joke and yeah. i i can say from having spoken to her while cameras are off the voice is not an act no no <laughs> it's fact, not I've heard, yeah she she might even tone it down for the camera so you went to a toxic environment and you don't like i don't know if you had any gigs in between pa jobs or if you were just the guy that was going from one gig when it would end you'd start the next show you'd start the next show you you were getting it like crafties do that too like they have yeah. their next show lined up before this one ends yeah, I was pretty lucky that I the PA gigs were fairly steady. That's um, right. And I think there are some kind of shorter term type gigs you can get, like commercial PA is a is a pretty good gig, like pay wise, and uh, pilots you can do. They're like a couple weeks, you know. Um, but the 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 one like job job I've had in LA between showbiz jobs was I worked at a kind of 
schmancy wine and cheese place called Say Cheese. <laughs> and it is in Silver Lake, uh, I, in I kind of a. Cheese. Yep. <laughs> Have you been? Have you guys been to Say Cheese? I drove I by it real fast. Uh, so yeah, it is definitely like a pre, like before, before like the term and the idea of foodie became popularized. This was mm-hmm. a place where, you know, something that would be considered a foodie down the line. Um, would go to get like cave aged Gruyere and cave um, aged. Ca- it has, it's been for some reason, I never learned exactly why that if you age cheese in a cave, it gives it a certain quality price. That, price. It, yes. It jacks up <laughs> the price. Poop? Poop <laughs> yeah. Flavor? Maybe like, guano cheese. Guano notes, cheese? notes of bat poop. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I was a I, I was a barista for a little bit in college, so they at Say Cheese had a little coffee counter. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I was the barista at Say Cheese for for um, for a couple months. And were you making foam hearts? No. So this was pre latte <laughs> art too. So. Oh wow. Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe some innovators were doing latte art somewhere. You know. Maybe this is like the early days of punk rock at CBGB's. Well, there was no Instagram, so what would have been the point? Exactly. Why? Yes. Why? Why have? Why have beautiful foam if you can't share it anywhere? Um, so yeah, and I still regard that as the job I was the worst at. I that job <laughs> I, at Say Cheese. I was I'm a like, barista too, and I feel it was the job out here I was worst at too. Where Where was it? Okay, really fine. Starbucks, but it was old school no, Starbucks that's... in. Um, Bel Air, and no you shame. had to pull the shots. So nice. it wasn't the kind where you press the button, like you had to pull the shots. And right. I was slow at it. And our store manager used to yell at me because I was on the 5.30 a.m. I had to get there oh, at 4.30 yeah. and we opened sure. at 5. So I was the early crew, 5 to 8, where it gets really backed up. Brentwood, not Bel Air, Brentwood. Well, it's like on the cusp. And we had celebrities in there all the time. And I would get screamed at all the time that I was too slow. Oh boy. And I was, I was too slow. <laughs> it took me half an hour to make two. Yeah, there's, there's, I, 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 it's interesting to kind of look back on a job and you're like, oh yeah, they really like yelled at me there, and people were kind of dicks to me. Yes. But also, I was bad at that. I was, that was... I could not. Sh- that was me at my most. <laughs> I'm a 20 year old fuck up. That is me. Yeah. At like I'm 22. I show up hungover right. I, i'm <laughs> up late fighting with my girlfriend so i'm coming in a mess yeah, yeah that that's i was i was very bad at that job if the owner is say cheese is listening to this i'm sorry for being such a shit employee he, he did you get fired that. or did you leave of your own free will no i i did leave he didn't fire me weirdly he should have he should have uh, maybe it just speaks to how tough it is to find somebody for that job. They were very cheese focused there, I think. Right, exactly. So it doesn't matter that the coffee guy is (laughs) (laughs) is there uh, with, you know, dropping band-aids into people's uh, drinks. Did that Um, happen? No, it didn't. I was, that's a, I would say random comedy example, but it basically did, but it it, basically happened. Um, It's Walmart. Exactly. Yeah, that's what the band is. The band aid is. Uh... Yeah. So I had already started doing like sketch and improv. So like, were you at Second w- City? Uh, so I started out my first improv place uh, in L.A. was a place called Ultimate Improv that I don't think is around anymore. Okay. It was in Westwood near UCLA in a place that used to be a cell phone store, 
and very clearly used to be a cell phone store. It's like yes. one of those things where yes. you can tell what this was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like when it, something else moves into an IHOP, you're like, yep. mm-hmm. this was so, an IHOP. So yeah, this yeah. was just a little kind of like strip mall place that um, a, a, an improv guy started an improv theater in. And yeah, and so we did, we were doing like short form, whose line is it anyways, like prop prop based game (laughs) improv um yeah the very kind of corny stuff that you see when when people make fun of improv which Mm -hmm. they should by the way um all right take it easy (laughs) so i was doing that in the evenings i was doing like classes on the weekends and shows in the evenings so like when i would get off of my pa job i would drive over there and uh, and play more games yeah exactly (laughs) and um and yeah, and then UCB Upright Citizens Brigade started maybe in a year after I was in LA, and that had some like alternative comedy cred because the UCB members, um, uh, Amy Poehler, etc., had that show on Comedy Central. So that was yeah. kind of where the cool kids went to do improv. Now uh, I am making quotation marks when I say cool kids because no one who does improv is cool. But, sure, sure. Um, See, I feel Jordan and I are very similar in that because we're from the improv sketch world too. I mean, uh-huh. at some point, everybody, as an actor and writer, gets involved in one of these programs. Yeah, but yeah. Jason is a diehard improviser. So, so are are you really? He is. Wow. I, I, I he toured. He toured. He's on toured. He toured. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tour. I, I went on a t- I went on a couple of tours. We did play some games. <laughs> <laughs> we did scenes and we played games. Give us a suggestion for a funny kind of hat. Yeah. No, give us a noun. Suggest yeah. a noun. And then you're like toaster. And they're like, not that noun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do another. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, I dick on improv a little bit. But yeah. But it, it, it was like – I think it is a great way to kind of like learn about comedy, comedy fundamentals and like, you know, maybe even more importantly, you just like – you meet people who are at yep. your level. I think yep. there's this there's this thing you kind of want to happen when you start showbiz that doesn't actually happen that much where a like established person will find you and help you. Yeah. And I think that is not something that happens a ton. I think, you know, I had I had this dream of, you know, I would come to L.A. and then, you know, longtime Simpsons writer John Schwartzwalder would meet me and say, this is the kid, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And I right. think I my, How do I finish this joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that doesn't happen a lot. I think that the, the contacts that are useful in showbiz are the ones are like people you meet when you're starting out and you do like shitty gigs with them. And then, and then they, and when once those people start becoming working people, that's, that's kind of where your help comes from. You lift each other up. You're absolutely right. It's really hard. And coming in at the lower rung of the ladder, like as a PA or anything, um, really it's, it's a 20 year career to get up to any position of like right. value. The, the trick is to go through that 20 year career, but then convince everyone that you're only 20. <laughs> right. Cause then <laughs> you're like right. 40 and they're like, well, you're a little old now to be a Rainier's assistant in the room. And you're like, why? It took me 20 years to get here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, oh yeah. So go, go ahead. 
Well, no, I was going to say you, you know, that was kind of your purpose your, when, when you started be, being a PA. Do you mm -hmm. feel like you said you got a lot of experience, but do you feel like you made connections as a PA, things yeah. that moved your career forward? Oh, yeah. So I think that, hmm, that's interesting. Let me think about that for a second. I mean, um, it's definitely good on your resume. Yeah, for sure. To and have I think, background. I think it is helpful that if, if when you finally get to, to be doing one of the creative jobs that you want to be doing, to have been a PA because you just kind of know how shit works in a way yeah. that someone who didn't do it doesn't mm -hmm. know. Uh, so I think that, that yeah, you kind of know like what a call sheet is and maybe you know a little bit about editing because you had to sit in with the editors. So I think I definitely knew how to talk to an editor in ways that, you know, sometimes a comedy writer doesn't because like I spent a shit ton of time being a PA for editors. So, uh, so I kind of learned some of that stuff. So yeah, I think it's a great, just like, and I think like we were talking about, like it can be everything from, you know, buying clothes for a dog to, um, you know, stopping people on the street who are walking through a shot. So it's so varied that you just learn a lot about different parts of the business. Um, so yeah, so I think it's helpful in that way. Kind of once you become someone who is being served by the PAs rather than a PA yourself, that you, you have some of the lingo and you have some of the know-how. I think it is, I, I think it is good. I think you can really tell, um, when you're kind of like working in a creative room, who has done those low level jobs and who has not, it is pretty clear who's kind of, uh, yeah, who's kind of been through that process and who hasn't. So do you feel like when you're, when you are, when you're writing, when you're actually doing the creative work in does, the writer's room, does that, um, does that experience find its way in? Do you find that you, you know, write a scene or, 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 or anything in one direction other rather than another because of the experience you had because you know that logistically this would be difficult based on my experience as a PA or in in the editing room for example yeah I, I think that's that's an interesting skill that that people don't talk a lot about is like when you're a writer it's like how easy is the thing to produce that you're writing you know yeah, yeah. um I think a good example is I work in animation a little bit and a thing you have to learn about animation is that there's a misconception that it's a great medium because you just write anything that your imagination comes up with and then someone animates it, but it doesn't work financially if there's a lot of backgrounds and a lot of new characters. So that's the thing where... You know, they want you to recycle locations and they want you to recycle characters because then someone doesn't have to design this whole new thing. So it's 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 this um, idea that, like, if you can write a script that is easy to produce, you're a more valuable employee. And I think that's kind of something that PAing and kind of those lower level jobs get you is that you understand how to make something like logistically possible um, because you know about the logistics. So, yeah. I, I, so I think you you become you know, a, 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 an easier person to hire and keep working with because you know how to write something that can actually be made. 
That's really interesting because I know, you know, in television, especially we, we're aware that, you know, sets are reused and, right. you know, you want a minimal number of locations for movies, TV, anything, because it's very expensive to go somewhere else and set up all over again. I did not know that in animation, that same value is placed on, it sounds like you're saying that like the illustrated backgrounds are trying to reuse those as well and reduce the amount of background art that's having to be done. Yeah, totally. So so I think that, you know, in the same way that like a sitcom set, you know, they, they want you to, you know, reuse Central Perk over and over again. Yeah. I think with, with kids animation, especially kind of lower budget kids animation, um, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense financially for every scene to be set on a different planet. Um, uh, because, yeah, so and I think I think maybe... Once you know that, once you do watch that kind of animation, you'll notice like, oh, they're in the same place a lot. And I'm mm -hmm. seeing the same like little cast of background characters come right. in and out because those things have already been designed. Okay. Okay. I want to ask him this. How long did you PA until you made that leap into the thing you wanted to do? And I know Jordan... That thing being, you wanted to do being serving coffee at a cheese restaurant. Right, um, no, <laughs> right yes. Jordan also side-gigged as an actor. He has acting credits, too, but we're talking about him as a writer, so I feel like the acting was also a side-gig. Oh, gig. sure. I can talk a little bit about my my uh, my my kind of unimpressive but hopefully a little <laughs> bit funny acting resume. Uh, so, yeah, so I think – and I'm, I'm sure you guys uh, – I'm sure you guys can relate to this bit. But I think when I moved to L.A., I just had this very nebulous idea that I wanted to be, like, a comedy person. Uh-huh. Um, what does that mean? Exactly, yeah. And I think and, – and again, kind of going back to – and again, kind of going back to kind of, like, illusions we have when we move here. I yeah. think – I, I I think that like a a tough dream people have for themselves when they first start this is the like I'm gonna be the person who writes, directs, acts, does it all. You know, like I, I don't know who the quintessential example of that is. Is it maybe Amy Poehler? Is that the is that the you know? I mean, J, J Lo. J Lo, yes, I'm let's, gonna let's be. Let's go with J Lo. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be J Lo. J -Lo. Right um, and I think that that is too. That is so fucking tough. That is so tough, and it's tougher now. Uh, but, but but yeah, but uh, but it's just tough. And I think that like when I first moved to L A, I was like, oh, I enjoy improv. And I think it was around the time when like improv was such a like buzzword in comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah. every for some reason, everybody saw one talk show interview with Vince Vaughn where he said that he riffed. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> so every every audition you went on included some improv mm -hmm. to the point oh. where you feel like, am I fucking writing this script for right. you? Commercial auditions are nothing but improv for the for like for 10 years. It was like, all right, just improvise. But they couldn't use that word. They had to say riff because if they right. told you to improvise. There was something you'd, get, you'd have salacious. to get a writing credit. And yeah. Paid. yeah, yeah. So exactly. it was always riff, riff this, and you were like, "What?" <laughs> so yeah. I think because I was involved at UCB, a prominent improv theater, I was able to kind of wrangle some auditions off of mm. that. 
And uh, so, yeah, so I have a couple lines in the Sandra Bullock movie All About Steve. Famously bad movie, a real fiasco. Um, (laughs) But, yes, I think a couple of my lines are riffed in that. Um, I was in a commercial for The Local Weather with NBC4's Fritz Coleman. Nice. Uh, It is still the thing my mom is proudest of. I play a surfer dude asking Fritz where the best waves are. Um, he was our weather guy growing up, so the fact that I got to share the stage with Fritz Coleman was a very big deal in my in my house. Quick interjection: you Please. said you moved to Los Angeles, but Fritz was your weather guy. Oh, I grew up in Orange County, so oh, uh, okay. yeah. Right. So, so the same uh, we we saw the same NBC four broadcast as people in LA do. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, it's Orange County, like maybe like an hour south of LA for. Um, people weather wise you're in the same place weather yeah exactly the same weather forecast culturally very different but very different uh, uh, might as well general... be two different states yes <laughs> weather wise uh, weather wise the same so my first post pa gig i left a pa gig to become a segment producer that's what they call you when you're a writer on a non-union show (laughs) Uh, i left to become a segment producer on a show called the daily habit which was the late night show for a tv network that's not around anymore called fuel tv oh i remember so yeah fuel tv was like skateboarding snowboarding guy stuff but was, was that was Fuel TV the one that Olivia Munn got started on too? Oh, you know, you're thinking of G4, kind of a G4. similarly niche, similarly targeted network that's like not around you guys anymore. Both I think know a lot more good. about testosterone TV than I do. <laughs> well, maybe. Let's keep going. Oh, that was one of my acting gigs. Was I was a uh, I I had a non-speaking part on. Oh God, what was that Spike TV show called? Mansers. Oh man! So, I do yes. remember Spike. Yeah, I yeah. do remember Spike TV. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. So I was a segment producer on that. So I was like writing bits and also like hosting some bits too. Um, that's another nice. thing about a non-union job is they can just like use you for tell whatever. you to fucking do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gonna be good and bad, and that can be totally good and fun in a way to like have your hand in a lot of uh, different things and to try out a lot of different things, but it can also be exploitative in its own way. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I was doing some like on-camera stuff, so I also like, because I had these hosting clips that I had, um, I could go out for other hosting gigs. So I did a, you know, a, a branded thing for Toyota where me and another comedy dude drove a, you know, 2013 Corolla from L.A. to New York. And I did a, you know, like a live stream of the like red carpet to the Teen Choice Awards one wow. year. Wow. Um, so I so yeah, so I definitely had a little like I had a little like hosting career as well. Um, and then, yeah, and I think it's this kind of thing we were talking about is where I was kind of like, I felt like it was time to pick a lane a little bit. Um, you know, I think I was like, you know, I was kind of creeping up on 30 and I'm like, okay, I have a lot of these little things. I'm doing some writing, but some hosting and, you know, the occasional weather commercial. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at that time at UCB, I had started, um, uh, doing sketch writing instead of improv. Yeah. And I just kind of loved that. That felt so good. And I loved like the writing room part and the kind of seeing something from, you know, 
page to realized and yeah that kind of just this just felt right and it was like the most fun thing that kind of you know uh uh, fed my soul at the at the risk of uh, uh, sounding a little too crunchy. Um, so I, yeah, that was kind of the thing. And then I, I just kind of had to sit down with my manager and said like, hey, I want to like concentrate on writing gigs. I, you know, don't want to go out for the, you know, Totino's halftime show hosting gig. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to focus on this. So yeah, that's so that's was your, that manager representing you for both writing and uh, hosting. Uh, yes, yeah. Wow. So, um, that was uh, lucky. That's Jenny Church Cooper over at Haven Entertainment. She does a great job. Um, uh, so yeah, shout that out was, to Jenny. Shout out to Jenny. Um, still with her after all these years. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, it's been a very nice working relationship. Um. So yeah, that was kind of that was kind of kind of what happened, and then I think after that, after that job on Fuel TV, I started just focusing on writing stuff and not anything like on camera or in front of the camera. And was that immediately like was there enough work right away that you were able to just write, and or were you continuing to have to supplement with uh, gigs? Gigs. Yeah. No, I've been pretty lucky in that you know I have certainly had bad jobs and I have certainly had low paying jobs but I've been pretty lucky in that my like creative jobs have been pretty consistent uh, something else I should mention uh, while we're talking about side hustles um, something I'm sure you two will be able to relate to uh, is that I have a podcast um, and I think it That's is right. something a lot of creative people do these days not just because like it's fun um, but also just because like it's a little income source that you can kind of control when the industry gets weird. And yeah. so I do a podcast called Jordan Jesse Go. It is a um, just an aimless bullshit chat podcast started. Can't relate to that at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys have a focus, um, which is lovely, a True. lovely focus. Um, uh, we do have a dangling carrot to follow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we so my podcast partner, Jesse Thorne, and I started our show. Um, thirteen-ish years ago, in a wow. time in a time before podcasts had concepts. Wow, thirteen <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing it Dang. a while. Um, so yeah, definitely when we started, podcasts were mostly like Mac tips and Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah. Um, and then the third genre was like two white guys chatting, and mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that 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 was us. We were we've been we, guests on two guys white guys chatting. Yeah, <laughs> fun. Yeah, fun show. <laughs> Love uh, Bill and Steve. Yeah. Long time the listener, best. first time guest. They love to they love to quote The Simpsons. They're great riffers. Um. So yeah. So I've. So we started doing that in. Uh. Yeah. Around the time when I moved to L. A. And and we certainly did it for free for a while, but then yeah. you know at some point we monetized it and. You do it on Maximum Fun, same platform that you did Bubble. Yes, yeah, MaximumFun.org. That's where you can find Jordan, Jesse, Go, and the the podcast part of Bubble. And, um, yeah, so that's that's just kind of nice, and I think that's something that creative people, um, you know, are all at least thinking about having now is, like, a podcast or a Patreon or a, you know, vlog series or something they or do on TikTok. Or a TikTok, yeah, something they do on social media that they yeah. can kind of control when the industry yeah. gets weird. Or cameo. It, 
Yeah, sure. Cameo. Everyone's on Cameo. Doing cameos. Cameo is like blown up during COVID. And it's so funny to see celebrities in their Instagram stories really promoting Cameo. Like, Mm -hmm. have a chat with me on Cameo. And like, it's like, wow. Well, I, I love why I, you know, I'll play a game, video game on my phone once in a while, and a commercial will come up, and it'll be someone recognizable talking about how they enjoy whatever product. Right. And then I notice the cameo logo is actually on the video. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so that company just paid. You yeah, know, someone bought a cameo. And Jake Busey, a hundred bucks to say, <laughs> buy these supplements. Wow. Yep, it's happening. I wow. do. I do want to talk about monetizing though. Sure. Uh, because it is your side hustle yeah. and um, and bubbles, you know, an interesting platform, the way they work, because it's all it's all donation based. It's all yeah. not donation. It's you. You listen to the podcast and then you guys have uh, a, a quick, you know, self promo where you say, hey, what this is what you think this is worth. Yeah. So that was that was kind of Max Fun and Max Fun has a, a like a donor based income system. Uh, it kind of works just like a – it's kind of like a proto-Patreon a little bit that's more inspired by like public radio or PBS or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. where you like become a donor. Um, there are like some ads on MaxFun like we do, you know, Casper Mattress and, uh, you know, um, meal boxes and stuff like that. But the kind of bulk of the money that keeps that thing going is like donors and they, you know yeah. – give some money every year and they get a tote bag and bonus episodes and all that stuff. And, um, it's great. And it's a great way to work. Um, you know, is because that co-opt or is the money they donate directly to your show or is it to the, uh, yeah. So I think the idea is that when you donate to max fun, um, part of your donation goes to the shows you listen to. Like you tick off. I listen to Jordan, Jesse go, can bubble. I pet your dog? And yeah, bubble and sawbones. Um, so then they get some of your donation and then some of your donation goes to like max fun operating costs. So like Got the it. web hosting and the microphones and paying the office staff. I think that that people are getting more trained on this idea that like sometimes you have to pay the artist directly. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously I think if you grew up like, you know, watching a lot of PBS and listening to a lot of NPR, that's kind of a familiar idea to you. But if you didn't, you know, that idea takes a little while to sink in that like this, this is kind of part of the new creative economy is you have to, you know, um, pay your starving artists because not all of us can afford vacation rentals as a side hustle. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, so you, you gotta, you gotta click that Patreon. You gotta give to max fun. You gotta support that only fans. Um, oh my gosh. I am so many friends that are, um, what is it? Only fans. Only fans. Is that what it's called? Is that the porn one? That is the one where you can have porn. I think at this point, I know there was a little scandal that maybe they were going to stop allowing it, but, but yes, but you can still do nudes. You just can't, they said no pornography. Oh, maybe not something sexually explicit. Yes, but you gotcha. can still do like you can. I'm canceling they, they, my account. They can still do breasts. <laughs> okay, okay, phew. I'm back in. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's that's um, yeah, that's just kind of another part of this. It's kind of where things are going. Is like, you know, with the stuff you do with the industry proper, you know, that will have ebbs and flows. The industry is very weird right now, so it's you, it you can't always. Well, I mean, yeah, it's great I know, for right? animation. Animation has 
been you know nonstop through this which is yeah sure for you sure know, wonderful um especially because can we talk for one second that bubble is going to be a movie yeah so i am uh, wait before you tell us right i literally finished the book and he finished the podcast about the same day and we were like this should be a movie or a tv show oh that, and it's nice of you to say yeah hopefully. and then we found out right it's going to be a movie. It's going to be. So, yeah, I am uh, writing the movie with um, uh, a lot of cool creative partners, um, Matt Tolmack Productions and Point Grey Productions and Sony Animation. So, yeah, we're all kind of working together on the movie. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's been a really fun, fun thing to learn about. I definitely had never done anything features before. So uh, it's been a little bit of a crash course for me. Um yeah, but it's been a blast. Everybody involved, like, really loves Bubble and, like, gets it, you know? Like, um, it's interesting. When the podcast came out, I definitely had a couple of meetings about, you know, adapting it or the rights or something. And so many people just seemed to like it because it was a podcast. Like, they didn't seem to give a shit about the characters or jokes or <laughs> satire of it. It was mm -hmm. just like, we've heard podcasts are good. We... This is a pod, so it's a podcast, and it's like, yeah, you know, um, so yeah, I think it's you know, it was like probably in the very early days of graphic novels being adapted, people were just like, this is a comic book, and nerds like them, it's a comic, <laughs> you know, without caring about what it was about. Um, but the the definitely the people who um, I'm working with now on this, like, oh, these are the people who like cared about the characters, um, which is really That's nice. Right. So yeah. yeah. Real quick question, because you know you do have a background working in animation. You've uh -huh. you've, you've done a bunch um, as a writer, and 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 yet you're saying this has been a crash course for you because in feature. Well, that's my question: is what what are your big what, you know for our listeners and sure. you know for me too? What are the big what, what you know what are the biggest takeaways? What are the biggest differences you're finding between writing for animation for feature versus the small screen. Oh, you know, I would say that the main thing I'm kind of learning about, because the actual kind of day-to-day -day scripting is not that different, but, like, I guess it's the idea of developing something that I didn't know anything about. Like, the idea of, like, you know, it, it's not just, like, we want to do the movie. All right, write the movie and give it to us. Like, you have to come up with with the production companies, you have to do a pitch for the studio and the mm -hmm. studio has to approve the pitch and then you have to write the outline and then the studio has to approve the outline. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the idea of kind of, you know, once something is bought, you don't just sit down and write it. Like, there's a lot of steps. Oh, right. boy, are there steps. Uh, <laughs> so you have, you know, just kind of that's been a just a fascinating thing to learn about how, you know, once someone says you know let's do a wonder woman movie it's not mm -hmm. just someone who they hire sitting down and writing a wonder woman movie it is like there's so much shit that goes into it um yeah do you yeah. feel like it's making it better I mean, it's not even just for animation as i understand it it's not even just the movie but you're talking about um what is it called when you have things that go with it that people can buy the merch merch yeah like you know they're thinking about merchandise and like how oh, that's totally and that's a big part of writing for kids huge, animation huge is part. that like the the consumer products 
corporation or the consumer product side yeah. of the business says we want to do a little car so write the little car into the next episode exactly which is crazy because you're like i have this story and it is so great and here's my book and here's my podcast right. and i love it and they're like okay we're talking about you know what's going to bring in the money isn't the movie the right. you know it's all the merchandise and the deals with mm -hmm. the comp the co-companies to um produce that yeah and that has not been something we've talked about at all with the bubble movie actually they, they've been really good about you know just wanting to make a, a good product um yeah i don't know they're great it's a it's a it's it's been like a long process and there's been parts of it that have been like kind of frustrating yeah. but it's the the frustrating things are just kind of like there's a lot of people and sometimes they want different things and i don't ever think that what anyone has wanted has been bad like sometimes you just like yeah so it's 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 everybody is a pro and i think that if you are in this process with boneheads it can be very frustrating <laughs> i can see a version of this you know where someone's like my kid likes Fortnite. put Fortnite into it you know like they just heard right, Fortnite right. last week and now they right. just want to hear it in the script um but yeah but i think when you're working with good people who like care about the source material um you know like obviously it's challenging but um it doesn't have to be like infuriating i don't think so well, you're at a studio that uh, that has done a very good job historically of translating some what you know what would seem to be untranslatable source materials into good movies. So yeah, yeah, Sony Animation does great stuff. I'm such a fan. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. Into the Spider Verse is the best yep. comic book movie ever made, and oh. maybe the best movie ever made if you catch it me on the right be, day. Yeah, it might um, be the best movie ever made. I mean, I think we watched it 18 times in a month. We have a six year old. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I've also I've also watched it eighteen times in a month, and I don't have a six year old. So yeah, Fair. I mean it's it's. I can tell from your hotel room. <laughs> yes, I'm a man with I'm a man without a child. Unencumbered. Unencumbered would be it. Right. I mean, I've been following Jordan. No, let's correct it. Jamie has better lingo. I've been stalking Jordan for about <laughs> mm, six weeks now. The man is on the move. Oh yeah. You haven't been like. I mean, you are like out there. You are out there. I follow your Instagram. You're sure. Everywhere. Yeah. You're everywhere. I was like, oh, that's the life of someone without a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk for really quick before we let you go, because I know we're broaching on that hour. No, we're at that hour. But you, I'm so excited for you. You have a second book deal. There is a second book in the works. Yeah. This is very exciting. How did that happen? Uh, Sure. Yeah. It's so... Um... So yeah, I had an idea for a book after Bubble. Um, so something that was part of my growing up was um, uh, the hip youth group. I don't know if this is something either of you have experience with. but I think um, there was an SVU episode, Special Victims Unit, that okay. dealt with a um, hip youth group. So you know. So, um, so I was part of a, a like a church growing up where like all the kids went to something called the underground and yes, it was this, this was like, an svu episode nice. okay i'm gonna tell you what happened no Jordan no, no spoilers i'm still on season one <laughs> <laughs> um and uh so you know it was this this little room at the in the basement of the church where like a cool 20 year old pastor with like tattoo sleeves would like rap to you about you know 
this guy named JC who had a lot of cool <laughs> ideas. Um, and I always thought that little world was so funny of, you know, like that and like, you know, Christian rock and oh Christian rock. Oh my God. Yeah. And pastors who wore Hawaiian shirts and right. kind of that little world. I, you know, making JC cool. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I always kind of wanted to set a story in that little world. Cause I, I don't think I've ever like seen it done really, really well. Well, that was abrupt. Yeah, we had the teensy-weensy bit of technical difficulty. It's called Mercury in Retrograde. It's called Shitty Internet. And we didn't even get to say goodbye. Well, well let's take this opportunity to thank Jordan Morris for coming on the show. Aw, thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Bye, Jordan. Bye, Jordan. You're the best. She showed on Monday. Beaver, I am freaking thrilled about next week's guests. Did you say guests? Guests. Sure did, Beebs. Not only do we have the delightful Katie Horning on the show, we also have her amazing hubby, Eric Sams, joining us. Oh, at the buffet table of life, we have filled our plates. Come around.